Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining in for this episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. I hope you're doing well and that good things are coming your way, because who doesn't like that? Anyhow, I'm excited about today's episode because we are chatting with Dr. Marissa Toussaint, a physician, specifically a doctor who specializes in family medicine and obesity medicine, who is also a certified culinary medicine specialist. In the podcast, she is going to tell us more about what culinary medicine is and how you, we, all of us, can use it to prevent and reverse chronic diseases. It's defined somewhere on the web as an evidence-based field in medicine that blends the art of food and cooking with the science of medicine. I love this stuff because, well, let's face it, in general, what we eat has a lot to do with how good or bad our health is. And like Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Unfortunately, a lot of practicing doctors don't get trained in lifestyle or behavior modifications, nutrition, healthy cooking, and certainly not exercise routines, or even just how to talk to people about all of this stuff. Uh, even though there is a great need for it, given that our rates of preventable illnesses, despite all the medical and biotechnological advances out there, are only going up. They're going up. And they're going up in younger and younger age groups, which is really telling of where we're at health-wise as a country. In the podcast, Dr. Toussaint will discuss how she uses culinary medicine and combines it with obesity medicine to help people maintain a healthy weight and reduce their risk of chronic illnesses. She'll describe how she uses culinary medicine with minority populations and disadvantaged populations, and describe also how health communicators can do a much better job being more relatable to those populations. She will talk about obesity prevention in general, obesity treatment, including her take on the new weight loss drugs and the body positive movement and how that fits in to the current obesity epidemic. All right, so give me a second here, guys, while we connect to Dr. Toussaint. All right, everybody, we are connecting with Dr. Marissa Toussaint. And Marissa, first of all, she has a great, we connected on Instagram and I loved her Instagram because she has all these great healthy food recipes and she's a doctor and all of that. So I'm super happy that you are joining on this episode of Causes or Cures. So thank, thank you. you. And I thought we could start, like, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Sure. Thank you, first of all, for having me. It's so nice to finally meet you in person or virtually, I, I, I should say. Um, so my name is Marissa Toussaint. I am uh, originally a family physician um, and I am also certified in culinary medicine as well as obesity medicine. I started a private practice here in Brooklyn, New York called Anise Medical. Oh, so that's your practice. I didn't that's even my practice. Yes. Oh, look at that. I didn't know. And it's so funny because you live in Brooklyn and I live in Manhattan and it's like, 
worlds away. Yeah. (laughs) But not. (laughs) But not. Nope. But I did. I was in Brooklyn recently at the Botanical Gardens, the light show. That was that was great. Um, And now everybody's moving to Brooklyn. Yes. As as, as it was. Yeah. Um, Did you and you have snow? Are you freezing right right now? I am. It's a little chilly, but the snow is not bad. It's been like a maybe an inch or two. Yeah. It's more icy than anything. Yeah, it's so, icy. Yeah. I walked my dog this morning and he was speeding and I'm like, okay, I'm going to fall. So calm down, Barnaby. <laughs> I love Barnaby, by the way. <laughs> I know. He's, he just got groomed yesterday and he parades around like he has this huge lion's mane. And I'm like, he's so, yeah, he's, he's great. He's a good buddy. Um, <laughs> Every time I, I see him on my feet, I like, I, I just start smiling. And I'm like, there he is. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's funny. He's a, and he's very social. Like he'll just stand outside a bar or like a bodega and look in and he'll start mm-hmm. wagging his tail and then they invite him in. And so I, I met a lot of people through him because I'm yeah. like, you know, I don't really do that as much, but anyways. Okay. So obesity medicine, culinary medicine, which I think is so cool. Um, so let's just start there. You know, obesity, it's always in the news. We have these new medications that everybody's talking about. It's in every other headline I read. I feel like, what are your thoughts on our approach to obesity? And feel free to answer that, you know, from individual perspective or what you're hearing in the news and the population approach. Yeah. So I, um, I also wear, I also have a, a master's in public health. So I feel like I am constantly juggling sort of a macro micro perspective as well as I have personal experience with obesity. So I feel like that sort of shapes my perspective of how I view obesity, if you will. So um, maybe I'll start with my journey a little bit. Um, I uh, did family medicine, as I said, and have been here since residency in New York City um, and have built my medical career here um, after medical school. And as you probably have already experienced and heard, um, medical school prepares us very little to deal with um, sort of chron- like lifestyle diseases, prevention, um, and treatment of obesity as well. And what I was seeing in working with mostly underserved communities, um, uh, high rates, uh, high prevalences of obesity and chronic diseases, um, and I felt ill-equipped to deal with them. So I, that was sort of the um, impetus uh, behind going into exploring culinary medicine uh, and getting certified in that. And that was really helpful. Um, but I do feel, I did feel that um, it was not the entire picture in terms of dealing with obesity. So culinary medicine sort of opened the window for me to understand nutrition and how to like counsel patients appropriately on diet and food intake in a way that we had, I had not been prepared before. Um, And then once I was there, I started to sense that obesity was way more complex than just nutrition. And so that's what, um, you know, compelled me to also get my certification in obesity medicine. So I try to put all those all those together together, uh, to work in my work with clients and with patients. So culinary medicine, I think people have this general sense where we, you know, we, we always say food is medicine, which I totally agree with, but I feel like it's, it's more than that. Yes, it is. And I'm not a chef. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you kind of well, look like you sometimes are. Sometimes we Instagram. look like it, right? Yes. Yeah. I do. I do sort of make that distinction. Although I do, when you going to culinary medicine conferences are like no other because it's multidisciplinary. So there's the artistic side from the chefs um, that is hybridized with the evidence of medicine. So we have um, registered dietitians, um, physicians, and even um, other clinicians uh, all together who are there learning how to prepare foods and how to um, really educate patients about foods that will help improve their lives. So it is nice to work with um, people from all sides, all perspectives, um, and in bridging the gaps for patients. I've um, always loved cooking, but you don't have to know like how to cook necessarily to um, to do this training. In other words, you start from the basics, which I think is helpful for people who have not necessarily had um, experience in the kitchen uh, as clinicians. And so um, really understanding the, uh, the technical parts of things in the kitchen and why we're doing uh, certain things, why we're putting certain ingredients together is really fascinating and, um, you know, rewarding for me. You just had something on your Instagram about kale, about, yes. yeah, sprinkling something on it. And I meant to go back to it. Um, oh, I was tenderizing it. Tenderizing. Yes, because- That's great. <laughs> Another thing I just, I I, I learned, right? Yeah. So if you're someone who is used to or familiar with kale, then you may already like it. But for some people, the texture is a little too woody or they may have um, discomfort in the digestion phase with kale. And so uh, tenderizing it, which really is just rubbing it until um, it becomes translucent. Sometimes you can use lemon or a little bit of olive oil um, to help in the process, but it is transformative for like salads and um, and other dishes that you might use them, use them in. So that's an example of, um, you know, something that is a translational output of, you know, culinary, the culinary medicine training. But as you already know, kale is um, wonderful for heart health and has um, anti-inflammatory properties that make it really. Yeah. 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 I, I do eat a lot of kale. So getting back to culinary medicine, and is that like a widely known term it's getting out there. It's getting yes. there. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think so. It's been okay. around for a while. I don't think it's as well known as the lifestyle medicine movement. And I uh, do think there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's some nuanced differences. But for the most part, I think it's the, the word is getting out there. And it's, is it like where you prescribe food or food combinations for folks? Like if I came to see you said, Hey, Dr. Santley, I'm trying to lose weight. Or is it just sort of like, are you giving me guidance? Yeah. So good question. I think if I answer that on, um, on a high level, um, how people implement it is really interesting because many people are doing lots of different things. And so I think that the education sort of gives us a high level approach to, you know, what studies show and, 
what the benefits are of the food patterns and like the, the, the dietary patterns that we have and what are the strategies to improve chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and how do you put that into practice, right? And so some people niche down and some people use it in a, in a variety of ways. And so I do have a primary care practice in which I'm, um, I sort of interweave what I'm, the principles that we've learned on a holistic level. Um, but then when I'm focused on obesity medicine, it's, it's sort of complicated to explain because while obesity medicine is really great at talking about improving outcomes and longevity, diets for reducing dementia, cardiovascular disease, cancers, things like that. What we see with the with the evidence is that there isn't necessarily a clear-cut answer for obesity, right? And you might, as you might imagine, um, there are reasons for that because obesity relies on other mechanisms that are in play. It's not purely about calories. It's not purely about macronutrients and micronutrients, although those things definitely play a huge um, role. There are other things that we have to look at, right? Things like sleep, the environment, our exposure to like obesogenic chemicals, medications that might be contributing to excess weight and physical activity, stress, all of those things play a role. So I have to figure out a way to bring all those things in, synthesize those for the the patient that's in front of me, and then also realize that the right diet may not be the same for each person. So that's really complicated. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. do you, since you have your own practice, do you get to spend more time with someone? Because I hear a lot of practicing physicians and they're like, you know, they have to see like a certain amount of patients a day and trying to get into what you're describing, which I feel like takes time. It's just not going to happen, you know, at some of the corporate run type of systems. Absolutely. You're so right. And I think that was one of the frustrations I faced in the traditional healthcare system. So I, my practice uses the direct primary care model. And so it's more of a membership based model. So patients pay, pay a monthly membership fee in exchange for having me as their doctor. And so I do have the luxury of spending more time um, with them and they, and they can communicate with me in a number of ways in between visits as well. It's not just like a one and done. It's nice. And so it, uh, on the one hand, it's great because I feel like I can do, I can really do the work that I wanted, the way that I feel like um, it should be done and the way that the evidence supports because um, the evidence does show that patients who have obesity lose more weight on average with more frequent interventions. So patients who have more than like 12 visits in, in a short period of time do better than those who have less. And so frequent visits are really important, not just for the education, but for um, the support, the motivational support and kind of guiding them through the pitfalls that they might um, face 
is really helpful um, when you can spend more time with each client. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, and you know, since, well, I assume you see this on Instagram, but I do, but you know, there's, there is the whole body positive movement, which I think is good in a lot of ways. And I had an eating disorder, so I kind of can totally relate to that and getting someone to accept yourself as you are and that kind of thing. And then the conversation with obesity, some people think we're not doing it right or, you know, we're insensitive. And I do think we get a lot of things wrong about obesity. And I, you know, the BMI, for example, is not a great measure, right? Like it's just, it's not, it, maybe it's, it's cost-effective at the population level, but what do you think? Do you think obesity is, do you view it as a disease? And when you see people talking about, you know, different ways to approach the topic on social media, for example, or in the mainstream media, like what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say, I don't love social media for one. And this is one of the areas where I think this becomes relevant is because conversations have become so reductive, right? And oh, things yeah. are way, <laughs> everything in life is way more nuanced than social media <laughs> reduces it to. So that's the first problem. You're either right? on my team or you're not. <laughs> you're either black or white. Yeah, you're either exactly. yellow or red, yes. like no in between. And you have to have, have, have an opinion on everything. And it's you like... have to have the opinion and the opinion must be finite over time. Yes. It cannot evolve. It cannot change, right? And the truth yes. is, obesity has like what we know about it has evolved right we know I acknowledge that there's stigma and I felt it firsthand right like so I've struggled with excess weight my entire life and so I'm very sensitive to that so you always want to say like what do you think is underlying most of the the sentiment that's out there and how can we figure out a way to sort of address both things right and I think the body set positivity movement is really about self-esteem, right? And the perception of beauty, how that translates into people's perceptions of their own self. And one of the the things that was really important for me when I was like, every time I've been on this journey is that I had to separate what the number on the scale from who I am. So I do spend a fair amount of time talking about that and working with people to acknowledge that they are not the number on their scale. That is very separate from, you know, what the evidence tells us about excess weight. So yes, the BMI is not, is not the be all and end all. It's not a perfect tool, but it is cheap. And, you know, so, and it's there. And if you have insurance, if you have insurance and you need it for medication, then we still have to do what we have to do. And that's what I tell patients all the time. It's like, yeah, I know how you feel. If you prefer not to see the number, if you prefer not to see what's on the scale, that's totally fine. But we do have to record this just so that we, if we, if there are prior authorizations that are required for medications, for instance, then these are the kinds of, um, this is the kind of information that we need. And the weight is not tied to self-worth separating mm-hmm. the value from the science and then also recognizing how excess weight sets you up for increased risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, you know, several cancers and figuring out a way to 
with that understanding, understanding how we can support you best in managing your way to get to whatever number is most comfortable for you. So I'm not, sometimes I have patients who come, I need to be a size eight. And it's like, I don't know. Like, that's not necessarily the goal here. Um, (laughs) It is really about how are we modifying the risk? What's the healthiest, happiest weight for you? Because, Mm. you know, what's going to make you feel energetic and, and you're, you're eating in a way that makes you feel good. What does that look like? Some patients have an idea. Some, you know, sometimes we have to work a little bit to get to figure out what that is. I love that. I think what you said about separating the number from the value is so important. And it's something we're horrible at as a society. And Absolutely. we all, I mean, if I stood on a, if I stood on a scale right now, I'd probably be dissatisfied. Just, I'd be like, oh, like I would somehow judge myself based off of that number. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it takes a lot to uncouple that. Yeah. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. Um, yeah. So. And you will also have jerks in society and, and not even just weight, but just how you look in general. Like they'll just value you higher for certain things. Oh, like you're beautiful. You're not, you're like, she's hot. She's not, you know how it is. It's like, yes, it's, yes. it's very, it is a depressing society on that. Like, if you think about it, like how we're, you know, quick to, and then, and then we internalize a lot of that. So. And in that, in that sense, that's, that's the one thing I do respect about the body positive. Like yes. these are the conversations we need to help change the stigma, right. And yeah. the narrative and the perception no, if you see someone who has excess weight, they're not lazy. They're not um, unmotivated in life. They're not failures, right? Like these are valuable, worthy, beautiful people. Right. And so I often say that when when some of my patients are on the scale, I say, hey, this is like, you're still beautiful. It's just yeah. a number, right? Yeah. And for many of us, we grew up not hearing that. So right. there's a lot of undoing for that. So I don't, I don't see one movement as the enemy of the other. I just, my perspective is to always look for the commonality and mm. point out the the nuances, the gray areas, and like why yeah. you're approaching things the way that we are. I'm the same way. I'm all about the nuances. So we won't do well on social media, apparently. <laughs> we, I know. It's that algorithm. Yeah. You'll, it's, it's, uh, you're going you're gonna to piss someone off. Yeah, that's so unfortunate. But I, by the way, that's one reason why this we talked about the you know, podcast are there are a lot of work. But I like the idea that it can kind of embrace the nuance. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see the good and the bad where you need improvements. But it's not like you're bad, you're good. Like it's not like that. Um, yes. Well, it, maybe it is on some podcasts. But if you want to bring on people who are contrarian about everything, which is probably the best way to go if you want your podcast to make money was, you know, speaks to our society, I think. Um, but I'm not like that. I do think we need to, we're complicated and things are gray and nuanced. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We do need more of that. The medications, you know, there's so much hype and I'm kind of, again, I take a nuanced point. I think if they can help some people, great, you know, if, uh, I'm all for that, but do you think we need to have focus in other places, where do you think we're dropping the ball? Maybe at the population level, since you know we have the medication now that we can offer people. You can offer your patients, I'm sure. But 
that seems to be where like the spotlight is right now. And I'm like, okay, what about other areas? What What are your thoughts on that? I think there's so many opportunities. <laughs> and I do think medication, you know, everyone sees um, what's on the news and it's so great and so fascinating. But the reality is that fewer than like, I think less than 30% uh, of people actually have access to the medications because of all of the restrictions with health insurance. So I still see that disparities are existing and that's problematic because these medications are like have been life changing for many people. And that doesn't mean it's all we need to focus on. But I do see that as both a blessing and kind of a struggle at the present moment. I'm hoping that that will change over time. So um, so on the population level, one thing I do see a need for is more advocacy for payers to cover medications. The medications are so ex- expensive at the moment that that it may take years for for real change to sort of happen, but I, I still think that it's worth um, having a lot more advocacy. And there are other medications too that are not necessarily as expensive as, as the GLP ones. It's just that's where the focus is at the moment. In terms of, um, so I work in, I live in Brooklyn and I've worked with underserved um, populations for most of my career. And so I do also um, feel that there is, there are opportunities for, you know, working on a lifestyle, working on lifestyle with clients, even on in the studies that we see where patients are, you know, there, there was a study that looked at um, underserved patients in the primary care setting um, with behavioral interventions and people who had sort of uh, focus on diet and behavioral modification, uh, as well as recommended uh, physical activity, lost uh, a fair amount of weight. But there are still dip- disparities in like um, communities of color. The black patients typically do not lose as much weight, and and that's kind of where I see my role. And so I grew up in. Uh, in the Caribbean, and I live in a heavily African-American and Caribbean community. And so education about foods and diets have not historically included the foods that many of my patients have grown up with, right? And so I see my role as sort of translational. What do I know about the evidence? And what do I know about culture and cultural foods and how do I present it in a manner that is going to be accessible for the community that, that I want to serve? That's so true. And what, what could we do a little better to be more inclusive? Is it just recognizing like, okay, you know, maybe we should include those foods or talk about them. Like what, what is it? Yeah. So like, for instance, we, I focus a lot on the Mediterranean diet, right? And so um, the Mediterranean diet is a pattern of, uh, of eating that has been shown to dramatically improve outcomes and decrease mortality, improves um, c- 
cardiovascular status and, and so on and so forth. And I've had patients who've said to me, what is that? Just olives and fish? And <laughs> <laughs> they're in the ballpark. Like, yeah, they're in the ballpark. Right. Correct. <laughs> and this is before all of the blue zones and all these other, oh, like, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, documentaries and so forth. Yeah. So, so the perception is like just even the name and I get it. I, I understand how the name came to be, but like the perception is that it's not an accessible thing for, for um, communities that maybe are eating like more tropical based foods. And so the conversation needs to the conversation's happening in some ways, but I would like to see more of it where like there's a um, culinary adaptation of culturally relevant foods for communities. Because uh, if I tell, you know, one of my Jamaican patients to eat broccoli, they may not understand it as much as if I focus on the foods that, that he or she is familiar with on a, on a regular basis. You know what I mean? That makes sense. And I think you can make almost any diet healthier, right? Like I'm kind of into this like tweaking Correct. mode. So I think, so if you can work with somebody is already eating and saying like, Hey, okay, we can make this healthier. I feel like that probably would work better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I do. So I, like when I'm meeting with someone, I, for the first time I have like I apologize in advance, but I have a very extensive intake. And so I ask lots of questions. And one of the questions that I ask is, what are your favorite foods? Um, and uh, what do you like to eat the most? And that's usually a good starting point um, to figuring out like, hey, is this, this number one, this is something that is important to that person. And so are there ways, if, if it's healthy, I'm using that term in air quotes, but like if it's <laughs> one of the healthier foods, then, you know, then you want to encourage more of that. But if it's something that maybe could be modified a little bit better, then I would have a conversation about that mm. and um, and use those, use those as examples of how to make incremental changes. Yeah, I and, you know, this <clears throat> I struggled with bulimia for years and it was awful to um get over that but one thing i i allow myself to eat things now but i just kind of tweak them like okay i can make this a little healthier it's not like i have to because i was reductive with my eating i was like can't eat that it's bad food i can eat this it's good food now i'm like not that way i yes. will modify here and there occasionally i let myself indulge but the old me never could do that but i feel like it's not even that i'm more content now but it just reduces my stress level so much like just uh absolutely because i want to enjoy what i eat too like right that's part of absolutely. eating yeah and we lose pleasure. that yeah 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 it's kind of like again i go back to social media because there's all these like tidbits of wellness on there and that kind of thing but um what's lost a lot in the dietary weight loss chat is just the enjoyment of food and connections to cultures and and that kind of thing it's we don't really yeah, it's like it, it's like some it's like another conversation, um, and then you have the obesity conversation or the weight loss conversation, but it can all be one conversation, really. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, and I think I sort of feel like maybe that is the outcome of from the diet culture, right? And um, that everything's become yeah. so reductive. Yeah. Um. I I get that question. 
I'm asked that question very often, like, which is the best diet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate that question. Um, but it is because we've, like, um, reduced everything to, like, you know, taglines and hashtags. And so are you team keto or are you, are you team plant-based? I can only be team keto because like no, the team, keto are people are so very, like very passionate. <laughs> Everyone's passionate. Everyone's yeah. passionate. And <laughs> what they don't realize is like, there are a lot more similarities amongst all of the, the various diets that there are differences. I think many of the, like, you know, in the way that the studies have been done, I think, so you can eat keto and you can be healthy. You can eat plant-based as a med- following the Mediterranean diet. I think overall, the thing that most diets agree on is to avoid ultra-processed foods. And that's the one thing that we've, the, the literature has demonstrated over and over to be sort of obesogenic and pro-inflammatory. So I spend a lot of um, work on, getting people to transition to like whole foods and less processed foods um, in their diet. And that's, that's tricky because it's so ubiquitous. It's so convenient and, um, and they're designed to be highly palatable. And so trying to, um, to change that is, is, is a journey. The good news is though, that the taste buds do change, but it's, it's, it's gradual. Yeah. You just had a, I know you had a post on that, the taste buds, which I think is good though, for people to know. Cause if they're like eating it, like, Oh, this tastes like crap. I'm never going to get used to this. Like, <laughs> I don't want to eat like a bunny. I'm not a bunny. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, I think so one of the, so I, I did, I think I did mention that in a post. The other thing I say is that I don't start by like, so, you know, patient comes in my, my office and they're like, okay, so what do you want me to, to get rid of now? And I'm like, I don't start there. I start with adding before we subtract. And I think people appreciate that because it's, it's, it takes a, it's going to take a while to let go of those foods that you uh, are used to. And if, if you're overly restrictive, then it becomes challenging to sort of adhere to things. So. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, I, th- I sometimes say wellness is a luxury brand because of the way it's presented. It drives me nuts sometimes. And I just wanted to ask, based on your experience, it sounds like you've worked with, you know, low-income communities and perhaps people who can't spend a fortune on, you know, I don't know, these expensive wellness retreats or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, is that your experience? Like, does it have to be financial-based, these lifestyle changes or is it possible, perhaps it's more difficult, but is it possible for folks on any income anywhere to make these types of changes or tweaks in their diet and their lifestyle that can be, that can make a difference? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So Okay. So you didn't hesitate there. Yes, absolutely. Beans are cheap, right? I bought, I just uh, bought beans. Dry, yeah. Dry, dried, dried products are cheap. If you can't, you know, fresh produce tends to be pricier in many instances, but frozen fruits and vegetables can be amazing once you know how to prepare them. And so I encourage people to experiment in different ways. Um, 
whole grains are not, are not that expensive depending on where you get them. So there's a wide variety. So it's generally like, so I first identify what the taste preferences are. Um, and then I sort of work, weave my way into like adding more fruits and vegetables or more healthy um, grains or oils and things like that. And people are often surprised that it's doable without necessarily breaking the bank. And now, things are oh, so sorry. expensive right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so expensive. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, they, the price has shot up. Like I feel like over the last year, I would like, I'm doing double takes in the store. Even I, I drink, co- I don't know how you feel about coffee. I do drink coffee. And I, I yes. was looking at, I was like, oh my God, you're like twice what you were like a year ago. <laughs> Coffee is so expensive now. Yes, I know. It's true. I know. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, I guess that does weigh on, on people's minds. Um, I wanted to ask, you know how everybody has like their oil? There's always, talk about reductive. There's always oil fights, right? Like coconut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you said like, I, I use a lot of olive oil, but do you have, do you recommend any, or you're just kind of like whatever works? Yeah. Olive oil, uh, avocado oil. Yeah. Those tend to be my favorite. Um, okay. You know, I think overall, as long as the balance is there, so avoiding a lot of the oils that um, are high in like omega-6 fats, so corn, the safflower, and um, and really, um, again, not elimination, but more balance, right? So mm. it's really... So some people are like, I, I'll just switch to avocado and and uh, olive oil, but I do know that those are more expensive. So, you know, finding ways to um, work other oils in can be more cost effective without being completely reductive. You know? Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm okay with canola oil, for instance. Um, yeah. You know, in moderation. And um, so yeah. it's really working with what um, is in someone's, within someone's means how are they preparing foods? What do they like to eat? And how do we make a plan that kind of really um, addresses all of these um, issues? Now, do you also help people get an exercise plan or a workout plan? Or So I, I sort of work with them to um, talk to get increase their in- activity level right Mm. um and uh so i'm not a physical therapist um some people will choose to to do that if they if they can or want to but really just starting with physical activity and walking yeah whatever is enjoyable for them yeah and start with the activity that is enjoyable and then add the frequency or the intensity as we go along I like That's that. more of my focus um, and also increasing the baseline level of activity. So um, yeah, uh, I, I have a standing desk at both at work and at home and I'm standing frequently throughout the day. Sometimes I may stand in a visit with patients. I say, do you, do you mind standing? You, you know, yeah. um, just so they kind of get used to the idea um, or exposed to it. Um, taking the stairs, um, lifting, like doing resistant bands or, um, you know, hand weights while watching Netflix, you know, like little things you can do. It doesn't have to be 
extravagant or um, dance breaks in the kitchen. Those are, you know, those are all things I love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's no, in my opinion, there's no bad movement. (laughs) Um, And so it's really just kind of being mindful about it because the more that you keep it top of mind, the more likely you are to make it um, incorporated into your life and your daily life. Yeah, I love that. I started, I always think about how to um, keep doing my chores and to make the, although I read some, this was hilarious. Someone was saying, oh, if you uh, do the vacuum and you can do squats. I, I tried that the other day. I, was, I felt like an Oompa Loompa. You know what I mean? Like, from, I was like, I don't understand this one. I don't think. <laughs> that is comical. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, you vacuum and then do some squats. Yeah, or, like, I don't know. I was like, what? I, I, don't, I was like, maybe someone wrote it just so, because they knew someone like me was going to try it. And yeah. Um, they, yeah, they get a good laugh out of it. Well, this is all, this is all really good stuff. What are your tips? Uh, I have a couple more questions because I know you uh, have to get back to your afternoon and stuff. But uh, if you had like, you know, I don't know, to give someone three big tips in terms of, hey, you know, I've been struggling to make a change in my life. And, you know, I'm not really sure I can do it anymore. I've tried almost everything. It's like someone who might feel hopeless because I've been there, you know, and I think there is that kind of general sense. And, and maybe even someone who, like you said, they don't, not everybody has access to these medications. Uh, mm-hmm. They're kind of reserved right now for the people who can afford them. And then that's not cool, but we're not there yet. So like right now, if someone's feeling kind of hopeless um, and maybe about their weight or their health status, how would you, like, what are some tips you might say or wisdom you could offer? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing would be to acknowledge that it's not their fault. And because um, obesity is complex, and it's um, really sort of governed by the by the brain, right? And so it's not intentional. It's not anything that you did, per se, that sort of caused this, but it's really just the brain is governing a set point based on Um, your exposure to everything in life, right? And so, but that doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. And so there are things that you can do and working on sleep, the pillars that I kind of talk about, I talk a lot about healthy sleep um, and because that um, plays a role with metabolism, if you can't go out and like totally overhaul your diet, like figure out what a, what are the one or two changes that you can make? What's the one vegetable that you can that you can add to your life right now today? And similarly, what's the one ultra processed food that you might want to eliminate? And how give yourself, you know, sort of a deadline or like, you know, uh, a plan. So maybe if you are drinking sodas like five days a week, can you get to two twice a week? And then the, you know, like do that for a few weeks and then can you get to once a week? You know, these are all examples of like how you make things tangible for folks. If you can't eliminate sodas, can you like dilute it at least? So it's like 50% water. And I think the more that you taste success or successful with making these small incremental changes, that sort of increases your appetite to, um, to do more and it motivates us to do more. 
also with like the physical activity, all of the things that I mentioned before, like what are ways that you could get moving a little bit more today? So those are the things that I would sort of suggest. And I like that. Even, even if you, yeah. And even if you think that, you know, these meds are not an option, like seeing someone who is certified in, in obesity medicine can still help because there may still be medications that are attainable for you and other strategies that we can try. So I have to ask supplements. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I do, I take some supplements. I take like vitamin D and um, I have some, some other collagen thing I wanted to try, but, and, you know, for me, I'm just like, as long as you're honest about the evidence, you know, yeah. and it's not like, this will change your life and you will be this, this, and this. Reductive uh, again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that people, many people, and I'm not saying this to like um, attack or be negative to anyone, but it is interesting that there is a perception that supplements are attainable for many people, whereas diet is very like, or maybe less attainable, like produce and um, healthy foods. And I'm not saying that food is not expensive, but supplements are pretty expensive. Oh, yeah, they're not cheap. <laughs> and they are not cheap. So I, my sense, I, I don't, I don't like to shut anyone down. So if someone is interested in supplements, we talk about it and I, um, and we review whatever the evidence is out there. Um, related to it. But I usually start with the basics and say, hey, if you want to like do this, go ahead. Or I say, well, maybe you want to hold off on that. But you might find that you don't need it because, um, you know, with changes in your diet, like these things can happen, you know, quickly too. Yeah. Or more quickly than you imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and I think too, it goes back to maybe that like quick fix type of thing. And I mean, there really isn't a quick fix, even with the obesity medications. I think it's great that they're helping a lot of people, but you have to stay on them, right? Like, yes, because it's a disease. It's like blood pressure. It's like diabetes, you know? Um, So, but on the flip side, you can be on obesity medications. And for many people, they get to eliminate their other medications, right? So they're, Mm, they come off their blood pressure medicine. They come off of their... That's true. Um, diabetes medications. And so, and they feel better. I, I can't tell you how many patients I have that say, you know, like the way that I think about food, it's, I'm not consumed with that sort of chatter as, as much as I did before. I feel like, like my efforts are not in vain because the average person with obesity has struggled for a long time with multiple interventions and has been unsuccessful, you know, for, for a long time. And so finding that one thing that works can be life-changing. And so Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that the medications have been very helpful at giving people an opportunity to feel, to feel different about their, their lives and their health. And I think that's so important to hear and to stress because you know, sometimes you'll read chatter, people are like, oh, well, it's, that person can just make changes or it's it's about personal responsibility. They and, took and, the easy way out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that bothers yeah. me. By the way, all the studies <laughs> that show like the 
15%, you know, changes in weight, 10%. They didn't just do medication, right? They It was medication plus lifestyle. So the people who lose the higher, like on the higher end of the weight loss spectrum did intensive lifestyle man management modification. So it's not the easy way out. Yeah. And it's also kind of like, let's just let people choose what's right for them. Right. Like, absolutely. Same thing. I feel the same way about aging, but you know, like, right. No, there's no woman in America who can age like, like without getting criticism for them. Like, do you want to do that? Do that. Do you want to do that? Do that. But yeah. I think it has to be, if it's okay with you and that's your choice, like, uh, why should we be so judgmental? Right. Yeah. But I, agree. I, I do think equal access is important though. Cause that's not cool. Cause I know with these medications, a lot of times, you know, you would hear, they would be called like the Hollywood medications. And I'm like, that's not cool. Yeah. Like, right. So, so unfair. Absolutely. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, we need to, right. I mean, everything needs to be more affordable. Like our, like I always say, we are like the GoFundMe nation. When someone gets really sick, you see that someone puts up a GoFundMe account just to pay health mm -hmm. bills. I'm like, that's really sad. You know, you have to worry about losing your house to pay for some surgeries or senior care like mm -hmm. it's messed yeah. up it's messed yeah. up <laughs> yeah but um, um we're so rich in so many ways but in so many ways like we're just missing the mark and like healthcare mm -hmm. is one where we just yeah really should be doing a lot more on a public health level yeah investing yeah. in prevention strategies we're horrible at prevention hopefully i'm always i always talk about it i feel like a broken record though but i don't know no we we need more voices like yours <laughs> we do we absolutely do i don't know i i try i try to put my little quirky videos up and try to you know get all sorts of voices at the table but uh i don't know i don't know if it does any good but just keep trying right people are listening okay People are well, listening. <laughs> People, People are listening. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, I'm gonna and, and hopefully with listening, yeah, there's empowerment in others, right? And so the goal is not to feel defeated or overwhelmed, but maybe there are things you can do on, um, on an individual level, right? And so, like a lot of employee employee benefits, a lot of health benefits are tied to employers, and so. You know, there may be if you're someone who is struggling to get access to medications or specific um, medical treatments through your insurance plan, then you might maybe have a small community, gather a small community or take it upon yourself to to um, to petition or advocate for changes within um, your employer with your employer. That's, that's just so an example. No, but, that's, a, that's um, a really good one. I, I, I always like to leave people on a hope, hopeful note. And so <laughs> we need hope. Yeah, we, do. we do need hope. Can't just be gloom and doom. <laughs> the Sometimes universe I am. is doomed. Sometimes I am just doom and gloom. I usually don't do podcasts all that day because I'm like, oh, man, you're going to lose everyone, Aaron. <laughs> I totally get it. But we have to like, you yeah. know, we have to no. bring it back. And that's, yeah. that's why we're here is like, so... And change is, is, is slow, just like um, it's incremental with on an individual level and a population level, it's going to be, yeah. you know, it's going to be slow, but we have to kind of, you know, consistently keep looking at things, examining things to see 
um, what opportunities are there to like make community level changes? That's right. Would you like to share your Instagram? I think your Instagram's great. Like the garden photos, the food photos. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, and so I, found, I, I have... always liked them. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I was like, oh, she has a garden in Brooklyn. That's so cool. <laughs> I should move to Brooklyn. <laughs> the garden's dead right now, by the way. Well, okay. So I, I <laughs> but um, <laughs> on Instagram, I have um, at Marissa to Saint MD. Uh, that's my, that's where I, I do a lot of more of my culinary medicine type stuff. And I focus a little bit more on primary care and obesity with my practice, um, page, which is Anise at Anise Medical, A-N-I-S-E-M-E-D-I-C-A-L. Okay. And they're both on Instagram. They're both on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Okay. And I'll include those for our listeners. I'll, I'll write them down. So you don't have to like you know, run and write anything down or remember anything. I'll link to them in the podcast description. Yes. But thank you so much. This was great. And thank you. It's so wonderful to finally meet with you. I know. I know. We should hang out in person, like, because it's not like you live that far from me. <laughs> Maybe when it gets warmer, wonderful. though. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Best of luck with your practice and all your stuff. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, keep up with the nuance approach because we need more of it i talk about that a lot by the way i do see that in everything like politics and then health every realm it's everything like yeah and it's, it's all about one-liners yeah. yeah and i don't yeah. think it's not making us smarter it's mm -mm. it's really bad it's making us like i feel dumber and hating each other more and yeah we're becoming more siloed yeah and um yeah like it's off just, with her head, yeah. off with his head. It's like, no, yeah. no, no, no. Like, and especially in public health, because uh, the job is as a public health communicator, I think is to be able to understand and connect different yes. aspects of the population. Even once you're like, oh God, that's awful. But trying, but they're still part of the population, right? And and so you still have to include them and you still need to care about them. So, but uh, it's, yeah, it's bad. And I don't know what's driving that decision, but yeah, the reductive nature, we could do a whole other podcast on that. So um keep up yeah. with the nuance, even though I feel like it might be slower growth, you know, cause people tend to write, they latch mm -hmm. on to these extremes, but I think the nuanced viewpoint is so like, we're starving for it. Yes. So, I agree. Yeah. Thank All right. You. Well, thanks so much. And, and stay warm. All right. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you everyone for joining in. If you can, Please subscribe to the podcast, share it, rate it on iTunes or Spotify, and tell your friends who are interested in health to listen to it. Check it out. Um, tell, tell whoever. It doesn't even have to be a friend. <laughs> a listener is a listener. <laughs> All right. And I know I said a quote at the beginning of this podcast, but I will end with one too, because that's just what we do here. And this one is from Norman Cousins. Ready? Here it is. Each patient carries his own doctor inside him. Now, Norman Cousins, he was big on laughter and humor therapy, and you should read his book, An Anatomy of an Illness, because it's really good. Um, and I'm guessing, though, that he would also agree that what we eat has a lot to do with our health. Um, that's just the truth, guys. That's just the truth. And if you respect someone, you tell them the truth. All right. Till next time. Bye for now.